All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is Eric Flagel, and I'm with Scott Poor, the Chief Investment Officer for the Eudaimonia Group. And uh, I think today we just just dive right into the topic on everyone's minds, Ukraine, and what's going on with that situation, and how does that impact the markets. So let's just start there and see where we, see where we go. Yeah, it's good to see you. I know you've been uh, uh, working with some other guests here in the intermediate, and and all of a sudden the world starts deciding to go crazy on us. So <laughs> here here we are. Um, you know, when you kind of look at, at what's been happening, um, you've got the the most recent thing is is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, when you kind of look at it from Russia's perspective, and you step back from all the noise you hear in the media. You got a couple of different things. Obviously, Ukraine was trying to move closer and closer to NATO uh, and getting some kind of recognition recognition inside of NATO. Clearly, uh, Putin did not want that, as well as all the rich natural resources that Ukraine offers. Uh, Ukraine has uranium, titanium. Uh, It's a huge breadbasket of commodities where they can actually feed uh, 600,000 people. So a lot of things that, that Putin can do there, because now... If he gets in there and uh, and if he were to take over Ukraine in some kind of way, whether he installs a puppet government or what have you, what what he can do now is he's got more bargaining chips on the global table. So, for example, Russia pretty much is only natural resource is oil. Now, if he gets Ukraine, he's got all these other natural resources he can use as bargaining chips. But but when you look at this graphic, what you see here is after two weeks of fighting. Um, really, he hasn't done a whole lot. This southern region here, that was pretty much his to begin with. He had Crimea already. These other two provinces had, had recently declared their independence, wanted to get away from Ukraine. So this really wasn't that big of a deal. This is really the only major progress that he's made. And when you see some of these videos of uh, Ukrainian farmers hooking up to a Russian missile station and taking it off you know, in the middle of the day, that's not exactly a well-run military. Um, other stories coming out about, you know, convoys in these, you know, 40-mile-long stretches being stuck because they can't get the the gas and the other, um, you know, uh, supplies that they need. Not a well-run, efficient military. So I think that you got two things here. Uh, Russia probably thought they'd come in and invade quickly and it'd be over with, and that's not happening. And Ukraine is realizing that maybe they can't put up as much of a fight for much longer. So if both parties come to the table, I think we do get some relief here in this this recent, you know, sell-off in equities. Um, you know, the biggest thing that we've got to be worried about is the price of oil. Oil has risen substantially. Contrary to what the administration would tell you, this is the recent rise in gas, but gas has really been rising for almost two years. Um, and, you know, really it started with the, the lack of supply in oil along with us emerging from the pandemic and demand increasing exponentially, you can't just turn off that spigot and turn it right back on. So all the things that have been done in the past really has led to this situation. So this is just exacerbating the, the call it, you know, uh, 18 month rise in, in oil prices. So there's a lot, a lot to kind of unpack. I want to come back to oil, but I want to ask a question that I've, I've gotten a couple times over the past couple of days, which is how much of this market downturn is directly attributed to what's going on in Europe, in Ukraine, and how much is attributed to just the market had run up? We talked about tapering last year a lot. It started to happen. So how much is attributed to that and how much is attributed to the Ukraine? Yeah, I think if you if you take a look here, I'm going to fast forward a couple of slides to the Fed. 
Um, in January, we got a, a little bit of a sell-off, and that was really related to the market being concerned that the Fed was behind the curve, and they absolutely were and probably still are today. So the market had sold off, call it 7%, due to concerns about the Fed and inflation. Well, this chart literally three weeks ago was flip-flopped. I mean, you had a 98% to 100% probability that the Fed was going to raise 50, 50 basis points in the next week. Now it's flip-flop to a 98% probability that it's only 25 basis points. And even earlier last week, it looked like there was a, a, a at least a 60% chance that they wouldn't raise at all because of the Ukrainian situation. So we were down 7% because of the Fed, down another 4 or 5 because of Ukraine. Um, I think that the market will probably cheer 25 basis points if that's exactly what happens in addition to some kind of agreement between Russia and Ukraine and the market recovers. Getting us somewhere back to close to the January levels, probably not completely. Um, but, you know, a, a 7 to 8% rally is probably not unheard of at this level. Yeah, I remember two weeks ago, rallied 5% in two days. You know, if you, if you especially if you take the dip into consideration, maybe a little even more, because it was down 1.5 or 2.5 before it ended up 1.5% on Thursday, and then it was up another two and a half, three percent the next day. So, you've had you've had these really quick, you know, spikes when there's some type of optimism on that on the horizon. Um, so, what I'm hearing is there's a confluence of both things. You know, the uncertainty in Ukraine has pushed it down for sure. Tapering is obviously still on the table. Um, so, we're going through we're going through this. How do you kind of because you don't really know how this situation in the Ukraine is going to play out. Do we do you see the US kind of just sidestepping a lot of these rate hikes and just kind of waiting it out or do you see maybe some tapering happening and then pushing this down on top of it? Yeah, I, I think the Fed has somewhat boxed themselves in where they pretty much have to raise next week. Uh, I think 25 basis points is very reasonable. It allows them to accomplish two things. They're not hiking as much as the market had expected. So the market kind of sees that as a little bit of easing, but they also get to address inflation. And, you know, we're going to get our inflation number for February uh, tomorrow. Um, that's one of the concerns that we have. And that's, you know, what the previous slide showed. <laughs> when you look at the last 11 CPI projections, analysts got it wrong nine out of 11 times. And they're projecting a 0.8% uh, for tomorrow. Uh, I think probably they're, they're, I mean, I'll take the numbers on that. They're probably wrong again uh, if they've been wrong nine of the last 11. So the biggest concern there is that the, the, the jobs number that we got last week, while the jobs number was great, the average earnings month over month grew 0%. Now, maybe that gets adjusted higher a little bit, but a 0% with a 0.8% increase in inflation, wages just are not keeping up with inflation. And so the administration's idea of, well, just go out and buy an electric vehicle is not a good solution. Uh, the, the biggest thing we've got to come around with is how do we address inflation and how do we address rising oil? Because that's an immediate need. Yeah, we, we want to you know, go toward green energy at some point and you can progress toward there. But that again, it's not like turning on a spigot. You can't just go there immediately. The, the, the lower income investor is uh, lower income household is getting punished by inflation. The, the median income for the for a low income family is twenty six thousand dollars a year. You've just added on a 30 percent increase in oil. That's going to hit their pocketbook substantially. So not only can they are they having trouble dealing with it, 
but they can't go out and buy an electric vehicle with the average cost of $55,000. That's just not tenable. So what we've got to do is we've got to figure out a way to address oil. And, and the biggest way to do that is to do both. It's not an either or. You progress toward green energy, but you also increase oil production at the same time. And so you can accomplish two goals at once, alleviate some of the pressure at the pump and still work toward you know green energy. Gotcha. No, I agree. So let's, let's talk a little bit about oil as well. It's like the only thing really that in commodities that have been up strongly this year. Um, I'm going to ask you two questions. One, let's do the easy one first. At this point, do you take your profits in oil and commodities or do you wait? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. I don't think you want to do anything dramatic here um, because what you saw was a nice steady, if, if, assuming that you're investing in oil, you saw a nice steady run up and then you see this period here. Once we've gotten to here, I do think you want to take a little bit of profits off the table because that is a substantial run up in just a few few short days, uh, two weeks, call it. So I think you do want to take some profits, but I don't think you want to take everything off the table because this trend is probably headed higher until we really address oil production and until we really address inflation. The trend is probably higher still. But, you know, some of these profits here at this level are probably a little bit ridiculous right now. Um, again, if we get a ceasefire, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see it come back down to this 350 level on gas and commodities as well. Commodities is being run a little bit by the disruption in Europe uh, with Ukraine not able to send out their resources like they have been and with some of the embargo on uh, Russian um Russian investments, uh, Russia in turn turning around and not allowing things to go in and out of Russia or Ukraine, that's disrupted the flow of commodities as well. So yeah, maybe taking a little bit of profits from commodities, but not getting out completely because again, we think the super cycle is still headed higher. Okay. So you reallocate just into your basic portfolio or you kind of think, wait it out, cash on the side for a little bit. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily hold cash unless it's a tactical maneuver. Uh, you're looking for the right investment to go into. At these levels, when you see stocks go doing this and, and a lot of volatility and really the, the numbers changing daily, intraday with any kind of piece of news, that's not a good way to trade. So, so any major moves is probably not a good idea. Maybe taking a little bit of profit from oil and commodities and shifting it to some areas that are highly undervalued at this stage is fine. But not any major moves because, again, we don't know how exactly this thing's going to play out. So I have a, a question that kind of came, that came in. Kyle in Texas was looking at where energy in, you know, if there's a lot of talk of energy independence and the fact that the U.S. produces, I think I even saw it on one of your slides, 20 percent of the world oil. So we're net exporters, but then we still import oil. How does that how does that play out from just a supply chain? Is it refined somewhere else or explain how that works? Yeah. And, and so to be quite honest with you, a good bit of it is political, to be quite honest with you. We we go to Russia and we say, hey, we want to uh, import from you. We're, we're basically helping stimulate your economy. And in regard, we get something, you know, in return. Um, then all of a sudden, as you can see from this chart, you know, just uh, just a couple of days ago um, or yesterday, actually, Biden makes it official that we're going to ban imports of Russian oil. That is a political uh, solution or a political situation. So it, the reality is we have 9,000 different oil leases that are available. Those cannot be turned on immediately. 
You have to to uh, investigate those leases. You have to develop them. You have to make sure that there are oil there. In some of those leases, there there is no oil. Even though there's a lease available, there's no real oil to capture there. So it takes time to do that. Again, it's not just turning on a spigot. It sounds neat when it's a soundbite in, in a press conference, but it's not reality. So what we need to do is progress down increasing and, and, and investigating those oil leases, getting oil out of those oil leases, which will take some time. Turning back on the Keystone Pipeline is another way to do it. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is the Keystone Pipeline was adding a section to an existing pipeline that is still pumping oil. If you look at up from Canada down to uh, the lower uh, basin and going down to uh, Louisiana, that pipeline still exists. The problem is it juts over, it does almost a 90 degree angle somewhere in the Midwest the Keystone Pipeline would have cut that off and allowed more oil to flow faster. It would have been about 800,000 barrels of oil a day. That would actually dwarf what we were importing from Russia annually. So by turning that back on, that actually, I think, will alleviate some of the pressure at the pump, allowing you know gas to come back down to a little bit more reasonable level. So a lot of the situations that you see of us importing oil from other places is, is largely um, political and, and could involve, you know, uh, strategic situations where really we've got plenty of resources here. We could pump as much oil as we need to. Yeah, that's what I was looking at with all that. And it's, it's, let me use the P word political. <laughs> so it is what it is. I, I want, you know, whether or not people do that, or that I should say it, the politically that, that happens or not, I want people to kind of have some flavor for how do you because I know there's we've been through a lot of historical situations. The market has reacted this way throughout history. There's things that we can kind of correlate to that people might remember. And um, can you take me through like just this situation, how the market's reacting? I know you have a really good signal, wealth protection signal, uh, maybe even a situation that we've been through with that. So people can say, oh, this reminds me of this time. So they could kind of look at it and, and give themselves you know, reason to be or not be afraid right now? Yeah, so when you look at the 29 major political events that have happened over the last 100 years, uh, geopolitical events in the world, the market does react quickly. You can see that one week after, the market is typically down, in some cases down 13%. Um, We're not down as much in this particular event, but we've had other events where it has, the Gulf War, Vietnam, what have you. And But when you look at a little bit further, from that geopolitical event, the market is usually higher. 62% of the time, it's higher three months later. 69, almost 70% of the time, it's higher 20, uh, six months later. And the largest gain in that era, area of six months later is up 24%. So it's important to remember that the pain is, is very short-term and it feels bad now. But if, if, you, if, if you remain invested, you don't make any major bad decisions, you're probably going to be rewarded for, for sticking it out. Um, if we look at it relative to other situations, what we see is the last 60 days of losses that we've had, this was before yesterday. Um, in 2008, the S&P was down 7%. That actually doesn't feel as painful as this current situation does. However, our, our wealth protection signal had already triggered twice and was on its way to triggering a third time. So that tells you right there that that situation was significantly different even after just a 7% loss. 2018 is probably the closest one we can remember other than the pandemic. I kind of put the pandemic off the table because that wasn't really an economically driven situation. 
2018, we had a major consolidation in the fourth quarter of that year after 60 days of losses, very similar to 08, down 7.6%, but look at the wealth protection signal, only at 28.2. After 60 days of losses this year, down further, down 9.7%, but at a very similar situation on the wealth protection signal down at, at, at 28.5. So what we had to do is kind of look at these things in context and realize that it's not quite as bad as we might be thinking. Now, in 2018, what you saw is the wealth protection signal got to uh, a total of 41. So it was about four points shy of triggering on the first trigger, selling that you should re recommend raising cash. So if, if you sold down in here, all you did was recognize losses because the indicator never triggered. And so by April of the next year, you were hitting new highs on the S&P. So any selling that you did in here, you just recognize losses where if you had just stayed put, you were back up to where you were by April of the next year. And so the indicator told you the right conclusion. Don't make any major decisions. Don't raise cash. And you would have been rewarded for it by April. So I think we're seeing a similar thing here. Right now, the wealth protection signal is, is at um, a level of 33. It's come down significantly today. If we see some kind of ceasefire, I think you would see it come down even more. And so it, it would be giving you the right conclusion. Don't make any major sell decisions and, and get into a situation where you're raising cash when you really don't need to. So candidly, are you worried at all right now? Yeah, you know, the biggest concern that people seem to be having is, is, is this going to lead us to a World War III scenario? G given the struggles that the Russian military has had trying to take over Ukraine, I really don't see that scenario playing out. Now, That who knows? I mean, somebody could decide to do something crazy. South Korea could decide to, or North Korea could decide to, you know, shoot off uh, a missile. Iran could decide to do something crazy. So those are things we can't plan for. Those are things that we can't anticipate. Um, then you've got your dooms doomsayers who, who say that the, the world's coming to an end. I don't know what your portfolio is going to do for you if that's a scenario. So what are you worried about your investments for? Um, I think likely what happens here is very similar to Crimea in 2014. Some kind of deal gets brokered. The Russians back out or, you know, worst case, they instill their their puppet government there and they take over the resources. But World War Three doesn't seem like a likely scenario here. So that doesn't cause me to worry as much. Um, I think that the way that the indicators moving, the way that things are starting to set up, We've kind of seen the, the most amount of selling. That doesn't mean we couldn't see a, another bad day here or there over the next week or so. But assuming that some kind of deal gets brokered, I think we're, we're probably headed for, for better uh, markets ahead in the short term than we are you know, worse markets. Have you ever seen, and I know we're getting a little longer than, than 15 minutes, but have you ever seen the world come together like this to sanction economically a country to this level? Yeah, it's it's very unique. Uh, the, the the last thing that I can remember would be something like the uh, the Gulf War, the Gulf War One, where everybody went against Libya. Uh, that's the last time I've really seen anything like this. Uh, and not everybody's lining up against Russia. China is obviously partnering with Russia, um, and you've got some of the other call them evil axis uh, of Iran and North Korea, you know, lining up with with Russia, but few and far between. Um, and so the, it, it is extraordinary. Of course, we didn't have these systems in place in 91, nor did we have them in place in the Vietnam War. So economically, we can essentially fight a war 
with with you know minimal bloodshed versus a, a 91 Gulf War or, or Vietnam War kind of thing. So it is it is rather unique. It is different because now the world is more interconnected with economics than it was, say, 40, 50, 60 years ago. No, I think it's great. So get just I know you went through just kind of very briefly the wealth protection signal, but just wrap wrap this call up just by going through it again, where it's at, I guess where the high of it was, you know, how close did it get to triggering? Uh, where is it at today? And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. Yeah. So I think if you look back here, uh, I had a slide on the VIX and, and so right now the VIX is kind of driving the indicator. Now what's the VIX just so people they're listening, what, what's, what is the VIX that they know? Yeah, the VIX is the volatility index that basically measures S&P futures um, going out three months. Um, what is the market betting on? As as the VIX increases, that means the market is betting that the, that the, the investors are betting the market is going to go lower. As the index, as the VIX index settles down, that means that investors think the market is generally headed higher. We got to a level yesterday uh, very similar to uh, uh, January levels of 2021. So that's kind of your support level. This is kind of flipped because normally we'd be talking about support levels on the S&P and they would be lower. Here, we're talking about support levels on the VIX going higher. So here, you can see that we hit that level and we bounced lower. That's a good thing. That means that we we held support there. If that doesn't ring true, if we were to some, some other piece of bad news were to come out in the VIX, were to jump higher, the next level of support would be from October of 2021, late October. So that would be your next support level. If we go through that, then I think you could be seeing some worry developing and perhaps the indicator moving to a level where it could trigger. If if this support level does hold, then I think we're headed back lower and could be back down to that blue line, which is the 50-day moving average, which is typical of where that index kind of hangs out. Um, and so that's that's really the key here is does volatility ease? And, you know, we've got some other indicators that could lead us there as well. This is the Goldman Sachs buyback desk. And so when you look at buyback authorizations, um, we're expected to have many more than we had last year. And so we saw a little bit of that in January when the market was kind of upset about the Fed and, and being behind the curve. We saw a couple of days where institutional investors stepped in and pushed the market a little bit higher. Um, I think we're going to see that here at these levels. We're going to see institutional buyers stepping in. Perhaps today's the day that we, you know the market's up about one and a half to two percent today. Perhaps today's the day. Maybe not. We'll see how the news holds up. Any tiny little piece of news seems to swing the market. But this would be the area where institutional buyers would say, "Yeah, this is a bargain. I can step in and buy my own stock back, and it makes sense at these levels." Perfect. I think it's great. So your wealth protection signal today is at what level? What's the number? It's at 33, so it would have to increase uh, 45% to get to that first trigger. Again, in 2018, we got all the way up to 41, so we're at 33 now. We're, we're pretty far away from that. It would have to really jump substantially. How high did it get? Um, so so in, in 2018, it got to 41. Uh, yesterday, I think it got up to about 36, so it's, it's all from 36 down to 33. It's been playing around with that level today, 33, 32. Um, so I, I think we're, we're probably headed for a little bit better. Um, if we can see the VIX continue to settle down, I think that gives us a clue that, that things could be a little bit brighter going forward. Well, Scott, I appreciate it. A lot of really good information um, for everybody that's listening. We are going to have the links to these uh, slides and whatnot in the bio. Um, so feel free to click that, you know, validate what Scott's talking about. But it's all 
really good information, Scott. Uh, good rounded kind of topic on the table to look at from a lot of different angles, and you did that. So thank you very much for doing that today.